0: God is real. Now that's a good place for an amen. Uh, I'll just remind you that every once in a while, okay. Uh, but it's more than just God is real because most of us would sit here and we'd say, "Well, sure, everybody—that's a you know everybody knows that." But did you know that you know, tree fall? And, um, see if you're listening. Gotta gotta stay with me. Um, we know that God's real, but the question often comes to us in one way or another. Uh, What do we do with that? And what we've been reminded of this morning is whatever else we do with that, we better fall on our face and worship before a holy God because he's real, right? Now, I want to take that and we're going to... Some of what I want to do today is actually, uh, it's real basic in our faith, but it's kind of advanced, it's one of those elements of Christianity, I think, that, that there's a nuance in it. And if we're not careful, we buy into the elementary principle of it and we fail to get to the deeper levels. And I want to take us to a deeper level, not just today, but as we go forward. So let me go back to that statement. God is real. And we would say to that, absolutely, we believe that to be true. But here's a news flash for you. If you live in a cocoon or you only live within the walls of the church, the reality is that when you step out of the walls of the church, you get out into a real world out there where everybody doesn't believe that God is real. Now, they may believe that... Well, they believe a number of things, and especially as it comes to talking about Jesus Christ, then um, now maybe we should have a discussion, preacher, before I just buy into what you're saying. We find that outside of the walls of the church, and I should be honest enough to tell you I think it happens inside of the walls of the church also, and that is there are skeptics when it comes to the identity of Jesus. I was watching, last week was the Super Bowl, you know, and uh, it's one of those times of the year that people who don't normally like football watch football. And the news medias and uh, the media and all that recognizes that. So they do stuff to kind of get you sucked into the whole Super Bowl spirit of stuff. And I happen to be watching something that um, uh, it's a program that probably I don't recommend that you watch. And uh, it just happened to be, I saw it and I said, it has to do with sports and Super Bowl. Okay, I'll watch it. And so it's, a, it's a, if I told you the name of it, you would recognize it. Uh, So, I'm not going to tell you, but it was, um, they were doing spoofs, these skits and stuff, and it was specifically tied to uh, Super Bowl and sporting events. And on this particular one, uh, they were uh, capitalizing on Tim Tebow and his faith. Now, you know who Tim Tebow is. If you don't, uh, he's a guy who used to play football, um, and he has been a vocal, visible, Witness for Jesus Christ, he won the Heisman Trophy in college and went into the pro ranks and he is unashamedly Christian and the way he presents himself is such that much of the world that we live in, especially America and the media and stuff, doesn't necessarily like that. And so they were spoofing Tim Tebow and his Christianity. And so as part of this skit, they show him in a locker room. Actually, it's an actor playing him in a locker room. And uh, it's halftime, I guess, and they're trying to talk about it. And, and something is said about his faith. And so in walks to this scene another actor who is made up to look like what most of you think Jesus looked like. Now, I didn't watch it beyond that because I'd seen enough by that time. But what I want you to get from that is they're taking, that is they, the world out there, takes this idea of Jesus as the Son of God, and they're not sure what to do with that, but they're certainly not going to swallow it whole. And so they don't believe that God is real necessarily. They're skeptical. And it begs the question for us, who is this guy that we name Jesus or that the Bible refers to as Jesus? What do you do with him? And so there's that whole group of people out there that's skeptical about whether it's real or not. There's another group, they're not even skeptical anymore. They're called agnostics and they're just saying, well, I'm not even sure that there's a God at all. And then beyond that, there's a whole other group of people that they said, "I'm not." it's not that I'm not sure. I know there's no God. We call them atheists. And the reality is that there's a better than average chance that if you step out of the walls of the church into the world, whether it's your office or your school or maybe even in your extended family, you will run into people who will one way or another take a position that says, I'm not so sure that God is real and I'm certainly not so sure what you say about Jesus is real. That being true, And I believe that is a true statement. At least it's proven itself to be true in my experience for many, many years now. That reality, coupled with the reality that we have where Jesus Christ has said to us, get out of the church, get into the community for the cause of Christ. When you rub shoulders with those people, let me say it a different way. When you rub brains with those people, and you step into that with a witness for Jesus Christ, and they're not sold on that, what do you do with that? When the world around us is asking, who is this guy, what is the appropriate response for us? That takes me to Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there with me, because actually now for today and the next four Sundays, we're going to deal with this question, who is this guy named Jesus? Now, I know that inside the church, that's one of those things that you're probably, some of you may be sitting there going, is it going to take us five weeks to answer the question, who is Jesus? Yeah. (laughs) Actually, Luke doesn't just leave the question there and answer it immediately and move on. In this section that we find ourselves in in Luke's gospel, from 7 all the way into chapter 9, or almost all the way through chapter 9, Luke puts on the lips of various people in the Jesus story we call the gospel. He puts this question or some kind of an answer on the lips of different people here. Who is this Jesus? It's going to be on the lips of some of Jesus' disciples. It's going to be on the lips of some of those people who are around him, as we'll see today, who are not necessarily his disciples. He puts it on the lips of of Herod, the ruler of the whole area. And in today's passage also, we see that he puts it on the lips of none other than John the Baptist. Who is this guy? What we find as we work through this section of Luke's gospel, is there are uh, several different answers to that question, but there's only one real answer to that question. Let me show you what I mean as we walk through this today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today, and we're going to start off... In verses 18 and following, well, excuse me, we're going to actually back it up a little bit. We're going to eventually get to 18 and following. But in doing this, let me give you the first answer. We'll come to the scripture in just a a second, be in Luke 7, and we'll get there shortly. But here's a good place for us to start. The first answer that we find in Luke's gospel about who this Jesus is as we come to this section is that some people will say Jesus is the big event guy. We know Jesus to be the one who does the big show. Now let me show you what I mean by that. First of all, um, I guess I, I should put it in terms that we can kind of get to. You ever, because we're like this, okay, this is part of why we're going to take five weeks to look at it because we find ourselves in these inadequate answers for who Jesus is. They're partially true. It's kind of the basic level of Christianity. But but if you really push them, they get us into trouble. And so here's this one, okay? The big event guy, that's who Jesus is for many people. Um, and I want to be careful, okay? Because I don't want this to sound like, you know, preacher's jumping on you or anything like that. I just want to take us a little bit deeper, a little higher maybe in the way we perceive who Jesus is. Brian's reminded us all morning about Jesus being God himself, worthy of worship. I love that passage out of Revelation that he read for us. And the picture is that we join with not just all of creation now, but all creation, all people of all time before this Jesus. But it ain't that way. Sorry, that's bad grammar, but it's just not that way when you step outside the walls of the church. People don't believe that. And so one of the things that we've kind of fallen into is what some of these people do in response to Jesus raising this guy from the dead, we talked about that last week, we'll do it again in a minute, is we begin to see Jesus as the big event guy, the big show. Are you one of those people who goes to the mall or goes shopping or wherever it is and you go and you pull into the parking lot and there's 1,100 million cars in the parking lot and you don't really want to have to walk because after all, you're tired. You've been working all day. You've been running after those kids all day. Just Lord, give me a parking place up front. And I don't want to know if you've ever prayed that prayer because most of us have it kind of reminds me, I'll put a little different spin on that. It kind of reminds me of the guy who was, uh, he was, uh, needing to go on a diet and he knew it. He was a preacher. Okay. He was fat. Uh, And uh, he needed to go on a diet, but he had this weakness for donuts. And every time he would go to the office, he would stop off at the donut store and he'd buy donuts either for himself or for, you know, the way you soften that is you buy it for everybody so you can have some at the office too. So he would do that every day and he'd talk to the people at the office and he made it a spiritual command: Lord, I, I need to stop eating donuts all the time. And so he started telling people around and there's accountability there and all that kind of stuff. And so he's on his way to work one day. And he gets up and he just has to have a donut, right? And so he starts praying, Lord, help me not get a donut. Help me not want a donut. And that desire doesn't go away. And so while he's driving, he's praying, Lord, I'll tell you what, if if you don't want me to have a donut today, make sure there are no parking places in front of the donut shop. So he shows up at the office and he's got a bag of donuts. And the guy in the office says to him, hey, I thought you weren't going to eat donuts anymore. He said, know no, I wasn't. But, you know, I prayed this morning, God, if, if you don't want me to have a donut, you notice how that's changed? If you don't want me to have a donut, make sure there's no parking place in front of the donut store. To which his friend said, well, you, apparently there was a, uh, you know, an empty space because you came with donuts. He said, yeah, the fourth time around the block it opened up and I, was, I figured that was God's sign to me. Okay, now I want you to take that and let's pull it into how we often do God. See, the big event, God, is the one that we go to when things are not necessarily the way we want them to be. And so we take our petition, we have good church words for this, and we go to God and we say, Okay, God, I need you to do this. Now, there's a couple of problems with this approach, this big event, God. A lot of times we hear this when it comes to matters of health. Lord, you know, I just need you to heal me or them and whoever it is in our life. And we take that to him. And part of that is based on a reality about Jesus Christ. And that is that he is the big event guy. I'm not trying to be irreverent with that. I hope you know me better than that by now. But the reality is that Jesus is quite capable of pulling off the big show event. Now we're in Scripture, okay? Luke chapter 7, I'll go back to where we were last week. It starts in verse 11, and that's the story where Jesus, after he's already healed the centurion's servant, and he did that at a distance, Luke has been showing us the authority of Christ. Now he's coming down and he's beginning to cause us to deal with the question, who is this Jesus? And so he has the authority to heal from a distance. That's the first 10 verses of chapter 7. And then in verse 11, it turns and the story is now about this widow. They meet the funeral. You remember that? And Jesus does the big event, the wow factor. He raises this woman's son back to life from the dead. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like a big deal. That sounds like a big event kind of Jesus, right? Hello? All right. I didn't know if you were just painted out there or what. That's a huge deal, okay? We don't see that every day or any day for that matter anymore. We need to let the real wow factor of what Jesus is doing be what it is. Our problem comes when we leave it there. I'll come back to that in just a second, but let me go to this passage here and let's look at a couple of things. Let's start reading in verse 18 because now this is the effect of what Jesus did. The big event, the wow factor in verse 18, it says this, fear sees them all. Hello, I reckon so. Hadn't been at a funeral where Jesus walked in and raised a person from the dead, but i tell you, it would get my attention right now. Worship may not be much of a problem for me that day. How about you? Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, now here's, here's who they say Jesus is. And it's, it's not that it's wrong. It's just that it's not completely Right? They say this, a great prophet has risen among us, and they also said God has visited his people. In other words, he's helped us through this person, and they hang the label on Jesus, he's a prophet. Verse 17, and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. So what we find here is this this label now. So the question is beginning to surface in Luke's gospel, and we're going to find it Several times, even today. And as it rises, people want to give answers. And they give the best answer they know. Nobody raises dead people back to life except prophets. You go back to the Old Testament and you find that true with some of those great prophets of old. And so all they know is their point of reference. He must be a prophet because he does the stuff that prophets do. I've already said it's a good answer. It's just not an adequate answer. But before I go on from that, I, let's stop for a minute and let's let Jesus be the big event wow guy for just a moment. See, I, I believe that the miracles that we find in Scripture really happened. Okay, now You'll find people don't really believe that. Okay, That's their issue. I, I think they really happened. I think the way we find it here, it really happened that way. And, and one of the reasons I believe that is because Jesus had this ability with the stuff that he did to reach out and seize the attention of the people who were there. And that's true today for us. When you are going through your life and you run into issues and difficulties and you go to God and you pray for a parking place up front and he gives you one, okay, now that one's a terrible example. When you're sick and you pray, God, take this away from me. And he does. That's a wild deal. And I'm convinced that one of the things that God still does as he works out his plan in our lives is he shows that he is real and that he's capable of taking us through the garbage of this life. Let me tell you, that's good news because this life is full of garbage, We need Jesus to be this for us. Maybe a good uh, uh, exercise for you this afternoon, since you won't be doing anything else anyway, all right, watching the Olympics. Why don't you go home this afternoon and spend a little bit of time rehearsing your life and trace God's hand in your life for those times that he reached out and wowed you with how real he is. Now, if you have a hard time doing that, let me just tell you the good news is God has a lot more than what you've experienced. Okay? Because he's regularly about the business of taking our garbage and turning it to his glory. And that's a pretty awesome thing to watch. So go home today and do that. And those of you who have children, especially young children, why don't you Talk about that with your kids. One of the reasons that we found I was a youth minister for 4,000 years, I think. One of the reasons I found that our teenagers, as they got into high school and then mid to late high school years, they just started just leaving the church. You know why they did that? Largely because we as parents never really took the time to talk to them about how real Jesus is. He did this for us. He did this in my life. This is how I know that he's real. That's just why we go to church every Sunday. All they know is I got to go to church every Sunday and those people up there they you know, church people. So why don't you just rehearse with them and let them be amazed at how real Jesus is to you? Okay, so I want to acknowledge that part. There's truth in that. He is a prophet. He does prophet kind of stuff, these people said. But there's a couple of problems with that. If we just leave it there, there's a couple of problems that we have to deal with. And if we'll deal with them, it takes us to a better level in understanding who he is. Here's the first problem. Uh, What if he doesn't pull off the big event for you after you prayed for it? Let's go back to the ridiculous example of the parking place. Let's say that you really need that parking place because something health-wise, you, or maybe it's a schedule and you, you need to run in and get what you need and run out. And if you have to park at the back part by Hot Walk to go all the way into Walmart, you're going to be a lot longer and it's a long ways to walk. Just go in the Hot Walk and Wait. So you pray, Lord, open a parking space. I need, you know I'm busy. I'm doing your work. I need this. And you drive around for four blocks four times and you don't get a spot. When you pray for the big event and God doesn't deliver, then what do you do? Well, what some people do, and now I'm especially thinking about the people outside of the church who look at us, when God doesn't come through, well, then they have reasons to be skeptical. Skeptical. Maybe he's not there. Maybe he doesn't care about you. Maybe he's busy. This is the problem. I'm not just making this up. This is the problem that we find in this scripture when we get to John the Baptist. Okay, So Jesus raises this kid from the dead, this young man from the dead. And the people go, wow, he's a prophet. This is incredible. We're wowed by what he does. And immediately, Luke turns the story to this guy named John the Baptist. Now, let's stop before we read the passage. Let's remember what John the Baptist has already said as to who Jesus is. Do you remember that from Luke's gospel? At the beginning point... Do you remember that from Luke's gospel? Y'all are... Hello? Okay. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he goes to John the Baptist, his cousin, who's baptizing in the Jordan. He's... Preaching and baptizing a baptism of repentance. And the scripture says that the whole countryside is going out to see him. Some of them are just going to watch. And some of them are going and genuinely repenting. And Jesus shows up. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus that day? All right. I'll ask a question. And you answer the question. What did John the Baptist say about who Jesus was on that day? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth, of the world. Right? Now, do you think John knows who Jesus is that day? Yes. Okay. That's a pretty clear statement. As a matter of fact, nobody else is saying that about Jesus at that time. We know that that's the Holy Spirit inspiring him, speaking through him to identify who this Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's a huge, loaded term in Scripture. So with that, now we come to verse 18. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. And the disciples of John reported all of these things. All of what things? All of the miracles and stuff that we've been seeing and the exorcisms and all that. They reported all of these things to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? What did John just ask? Let's turn it where it's not a question and make it a statement. You know, Jesus, I'm not sure you who are who I thought you were. How can John the Baptist be so sure when he baptizes Jesus, and now later, he's not so sure? He's not so sure enough that he takes a couple of his own disciples and sends them to Jesus. And in Luke's gospel here, two different times the question is put forward. And that's a way to emphasize this was a huge question in John's mind. Who are you? Really, are you the guy we were thinking about? Did I get it wrong when I baptized you? I'm stopping here to let that settle in. That's a huge thing. You know, let me just jump to the current day. I've had church people ask me questions just like this for decades now. You know, preacher, I went to camp when I was in high school. And you know how camp is? And I got man, it's ride the wave. And man, God's doing this stuff. and, And I knew that I needed a Savior, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. But you know, that's been 20 years ago. And it's like, he, I don't even know if I knew what I was doing then. Churches are full of people who are just like John the Baptist at this point. You know, I had a point in time that I kind of thought I knew, but now because he's not doing the big event stuff anymore, I'm just not so sure. Well, that's a little foreign to this text because he was doing the big event stuff, but still somehow John didn't get it. Let me go ahead and fill in the blanks for you show you why. Matthew tells us that John the Baptist at this point is in prison. And before it's all said and done, he won't get out of prison except they're going to carry his body out and his body won't have a head on it when he does because Herod is going to say, you know what, I'm done with you. John the Baptist remembers Jesus and these words that he said first time he was in the synagogue. You remember we talked about that in Nazareth? He said, Unscroll the, the scroll of Isaiah... And I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. And I'm just going to stop there because here's John the Baptist and he's a captive. And he's in prison and he's not going to get out and he knows it. And so now he's starting to go, wait a minute, Jesus, are you, are you really the one? And on top of that, John identified him for who he was, which was the Messiah. That's more than just a prophet. Messiah was the one that all the Jews had been looking to for centuries that God would send. And their expectation, and there's a key word now. Their expectation was that Messiah would come in and he would pull his sword out and he would whack off the heads of the Roman occupiers, and the Jewish people would elevate to their rightful place over all of the political stuff in the world because they're God's chosen people. John was expecting to see that, but now John's in prison. And so the things that he knew were not necessarily matching up with what he expected and he's got to have an answer. Who is this Jesus? One scholar put it best, I think, when he said, John, we might put these words on John's lips and be exactly where he was in his thinking. The old lyrics to the song Battle Hymn of the Republic. You remember that? I know that we're from an area that was on the other side, but the Battle Hymn of the Republic, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is, how does it go now? He has trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Think about that. This is not a picture of little Jesus, meek and mild, walking in with a lamb in his arm. This is a picture of the Lord trampling out where the, the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed his faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. That's a picture of a Jesus who comes in swinging a sword. That's the picture of the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. And so now here's Jesus walking the countryside, healing people, preaching. And John the Baptist has questions about that. Could that be that I missed it on who you are? Maybe you're here today. You're having the same question. Maybe, Maybe it's... Worded differently, maybe you hadn't even put it into words, but somewhere deep inside of you, you're going, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. Sounds good when I'm in church, but when I get out there on the road, I'm not sure that it really works. The reality is that when our expectations of God, especially if they're rooted in the big, wow, big event Jesus, they suffer when he doesn't come through for us on our terms. And our expectations are dashed. It's not that he's any less of who he really is. It's just that from our side of it, we're just not so sure he's who he was supposed to be. Sometimes the expectations that we put on Jesus' shoulders go unfulfilled. Loved ones we pray for don't get well. We've been reminded this week in our community, once again, That bad stuff happens. And people ask, where's God in that? And our expectations for the big wow stuff leave questions that haunt us. And the worst thing we can do as Christian people, to step out into that and throw out these folk religious cliches that have truth in them, but we just don't know the question well enough to find an answer. And so we just throw stuff out there. We see it in the news every day. A world that desperately needs a Jesus who's real. and when we don't have the answer and our expectations fail us hope fades and skepticism walks right in the door now let me remind you just because i expect it to be true doesn't make it true my wife has a dog well she's sort of a dog okay i call her taco bait okay she's this dog is Weighs less than four pounds. If you were in the habit of kicking dogs, which I don't recommend at all, you could kick her a long ways probably. Okay? Don't do it because you'll have to deal with me and especially with my wife. Don't do that. Okay? But my, dog, this is a, my, my wife's dog, <clears throat> this is a little dog. okay? If she could bite you, it wouldn't hurt. I could expect her to be a Doberman by the time I get home. But that's not going to make it true. Right? So be careful in the expectations that you put on God. Don't saddle him up with something that you expect him to do because he's not obligated to fulfill your expectations. That's one of the things about what Brian was showing us this morning that needs to come through for us. We don't get to control God. We like to. Evaluate your prayer life. See how much... You try to control God. So that's the problem with this big event, Jesus, that we have sometimes. Our our expectations get in the way. And before we know it, we flip the tables and it's like us being God, telling him what to do for us. Here's the second big problem. Let me say this one thing to finish what I just got through saying. This big event God perspective that we often have is good enough, there's truth in it, It's just inadequate to be the final statement that we make about who Jesus is. He is capable. He can do the wowing things that he does. And he regularly does those things. But he's more than that for us. Which points me to the second problem with that. If we're not careful, if we just adopt this perspective of God where he is our um, get-it-done person. I know I'm using Jesus and God interchangeably here, but... He is one right if we're not careful uh we have a perspective now i'm back to that group of people and they just label him a prophet well you know what i can take or leave a prophet but as we were reminded last week the quote by c.s lewis that was on the screen you remember that we don't get the freedom of choosing whether or not we're going to respond to jesus as lord he is that I can walk away from a prophet and say, well, you know, God's hand is on him, but I don't have to do what he says. You can't do that with Jesus Christ if you know who he is. That's a good place for an amen too, but I didn't expect it there. You can, let me say it a different way. You can observe the handiwork of Christ and still miss his identity. An example of that? Luke chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. This is where Jesus... I'll just read it for you. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. And one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Let me remind you that at least some of these guys were professional fishermen. They knew how to handle storms on the lake. This is a problem. They need the wow Jesus to wake up. Ever felt like that? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. Wow, right? Verse 25, and he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this? That even, or that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. So, on the, mouth, on the lips of Jesus' own disciples, who is this guy? Even church people have room to grow in how they understand who Jesus is. And then you find Herod, Luke chapter 9, verse 7. Now, Herod the Tetrarch, in other words, he's a muckety-muck. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, that is, Herod had killed him, by some that Elijah had appeared, there's the prophet part, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? He's talking about Jesus, of course. We're getting a fully stacked deck now of people who are not exactly sure who this Jesus is. Before it's all said and done, we're going to get to chapter 9 and none other than Simon Peter, the big mouth disciple, is going to clutch it for us. And he gets it right. He gets all of it right. When Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples talk about that. Luke drives us to that conclusion in this little section of his gospel. Who do people say that I am? And they talk about that. And then Jesus turns it as he always does. And the question for you today is the same one he gave those disciples. But who do you say that I am? Am I the big event guy for you? The guy you can take or leave prophet? Simon Peter looked at him and he said, You are the holy one of God. You know what Simon Peter said with that? The same thing that we must say of that. There's none like you. And so I fall on my face before you and I worship you, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. And Jesus says, Watch what I can do. Let's pray. So, how is it with you today? Do you know this, Jesus? Father, we come and we ask that you help us to get this little truth that actually rings loudly in our spirits where we have diminished you, tried to make you over in our own image and lock you in our little boxes held you to standards that just not right we confess those things before you and we ask you that you would show us grace and mercy give us a glimpse even now of your majesty take us to the foot of the cross and see God in the flesh bleeding and dying for me move us to the front of that empty tomb and we see a place that has been conquered by this same Jesus who reaches down to us even now and says, I love you and I want to walk with you and take you through this life and into the next. We love you. We pray that you'd do a work in the hearts of your people even now. It's our prayer in Christ's name.